Hi, today is Juneteenth, June 19th, and we're going to be uh, lifting that up during the sermon, slavery and the legacy thereof, and in the context of fear and fear of the truth, and when we, with God's help um, and others, we are able to overcome our fears, including that one, then we can uh, have some new freedom, but sometimes we're afraid of the freedom. And uh, so this message is a bit different. It's not straight elaborating on the scriptures as much as it's talking about the themes of fear and truth and what happens when we can get past that, cope with it, or stay. You know, what being afraid and being afraid of the truth and being afraid of freedom can do a lot of bad stuff. So, um, Olivia Altmeyer is our lector today, as uh, the text tells us that you've read, I, I uh, hope, already. And um, so you'll hear what the scriptures are. And um, I thank you for tuning in. I hope you'll uh, find this message, A, a little bit different, but B, also uh, empowering and meaningful. Please join me in the spirit of prayer for a brief word before hearing any for anything else. God of the still small voice or sound of sheer silence, may we hear you as we listen to the scriptures and the message. Help us get out of it what you want us to get out of it. And then help us to do what you are calling us to do, to fulfill your purposes for us in our lives and in our communities. In the name of Christ, amen. And here we go with our service. In our first reading, the prophet Elijah goes away and later hears the voice of God as the sound of sheer silence. Other translations call it a still, small voice. As we hear today's passages, may we hear the voice of God speaking to us, maybe even as a still, small voice. Let's prepare our spirits for this conversation. Please join me in the spirit of prayer. Let us pray. You talk to us in different ways, God. Sometimes it's loud to get our attention and get through to us fast. Other times it's subtle, like through a work of art, communing with nature. You speak through events, this written word, and through people we spend time with. Open our ears now, we ask. Help us to listen well. May we hear you talking to us, and may we know what to do with what we hear. In the name of Jesus Christ, the word of life, we pray. Amen. The first reading is King, 1 Kings 19. The first verses we hear come right after the Lord and Elijah publicly shamed Queen Jezebel's ball religion in the contest of consuming a sacrifice from on high. Elijah then killed the priests of Baal after they lost the contest. But there is a price to pay when you humiliate the religion of the queen. Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done, and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah, saying, So may the gods do to me, and more also, if I do not make your life like the life of one of them by this time tomorrow. Then he was afraid. He got up and fled for his life, 
and came to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah. He left his servant there. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness, and came and sat down under a solitary broom tree. He asked that he might die. It is enough now, O Lord, take away my life, for I am no better than my ancestors. Then he lay down under the broom tree and fell asleep. Suddenly, an angel touched him and said to him, Get up and eat. He looked, and there at his head was a cake baked on hot stones in a jar of water. He ate and drank and lay down again. The angel of the Lord came a second time, touched him, and said, Get up and eat. Otherwise, the journey will be too much for you. He got up and ate and drank. Then he went in the strength of that food forty days and forty nights to Horeb, the mount of God. At that place, he came to a cave and spent the night there. Then the word of the Lord came to him, saying, What are you doing here, Elijah? He answered, I have been very zealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the Israelites have forsaken your covenant thrown down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. I alone am left, and they are seeking my life to take it away. He said, Go out and stand on the mountain before the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Now there was a great wind, so strong that it was splitting mountains and breaking rocks and pieces before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind, and after the wind an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, a sound of sheer silence. When Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his mantle and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. Then there came a voice to him that said, What are you doing here, Elijah? He answered, I have been very zealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the Israelites have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. I alone am left, and they are seeking my life to take it away. Then the Lord said to him, Go, return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus. When you arrive, you shall anoint Hatzel as king over Aram. This ends the reading from 1 Kings. Our second reading is from Paul's letter to the Galatian church, chapter 3, verses 23 through 29. Paul has been explaining how faith supersedes obedience to the Mosaic law as the means of being right with God. We are saved by grace through faith, but law did have its purpose in the previous covenant. Now he focuses on faith. Paul writes, Now before faith came, we were imprisoned and guarded under the law until faith would be revealed. Therefore, the law was our disciplinarian until Christ came, so that we might be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we are no longer subject to a disciplinarian. For in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. As many of you were baptized into Christ, have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is no longer Jew or Greek. There is no longer slave or free. There is no longer male and female. For all of you are one in Christ Jesus, and if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. Here ends the epistle lesson. Father's Day. I did not get to spend a whole lot of time with my dad, but he did make time to try and teach me things. 
He took me aside onto the back porch one day to try and teach me how to play cribbage. Another day, he tried to explain the four downs of football and the aspects of getting a first down, what you have to do and what this means. There was the time he wanted to show me the importance of pounding out the air from the bottom of a cake pan when the cake mix in it, about ready to go into the oven. This is how you get the bubbles out. He showed me how. I did not have the heart to tell him I already knew. Who would? And there were more instances. So at first I chose 1 Kings 19 from the lectionary because, like my dad, God spent some time with Elijah. He provided for his nutritional needs and accepted his need for rest and getting away for a while. God spent time with Elijah even if God was not all that happy with him. And in the end, God taught Elijah. But what grabbed me in another direction, though, is that Elijah, the man with the legion, And especially the crowds in the gospel after Jesus healed the demoniac were all afraid. Fear. A driving force in human and American life. We know that Elijah was afraid of being killed by Jezebel's death squad. And he was also weary of the battles. He was not a fresh prophet newly imprinted out of prophet school. He might have been also, as I reread, you know, he might have been pretty intimidated by the great wind and the earthquake and the fire. I mean, stones were breaking away from the outside of the cave he was in, from that wind. And the townspeople in the country of the Gerasenes were terrified of the demoniac first, and the legion within him was afraid of Jesus. And then the crowd feared Jesus so much, they begged him to leave. What were they afraid of? And to the point there are similarities between then and now, what's to be done with our own fear or fears? Well, some people are or were afraid of their fathers. Some of us fear a recession and what will happen to us financially. And what will happen to us if the burdens of gasoline and other rising costs keep rising? Some fear or are very uncomfortable around, may not be afraid of, but they're very comfortable around persons who do not identify as heterosexual. And others fear what could happen if yesterday's moral march on Washington, the Poor People's Campaign March on Washington, got their agendas as legislation that passes. What will happen? Oh no, others fear the opposite. What will happen if these don't happen? Some of us fear for Ukraine's embattled, endangered viability as a free people. And others fear the truth that is coming out from the January 6th committee. Yeah, some fear the truth for more reasons than one. United Church of Christ pastor and writer Cheryl Lindsay reflected on some expressions about truth which can show up in our heads or our mouths. She writes, for example, as an truth is stranger than fiction. The truth will come out. The truth is out there somewhere. And as she said, who has not seen a court drama 
where the witness swore to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, so help me God. Even, she continues, if that did not exactly mirror my experience while I was on jury duty. She says, one of the most famous movie lines is, you can't handle the truth. And says it's been used in countless comedy skits and parodies. There's something about that simple accusation that resonates. Probably the truth in it. A lot of us are afraid, I think, of the truth in one form or another. We may be afraid of receiving critical feedback at work or school. We may avoid seeking counsel on a problem because of the cost involved with resolving it. We dread the results of a medical exam or tests for fear of a devastating diagnosis or what a judge or jury has decided if it goes against us or our loved ones. Obviously, there are plenty of things that it's wise to be afraid of. It's an appropriate response to precarious and dangerous circumstances. How many were like us and got into their basements last Monday night when, this, when the tornado warning went off? Sometimes, though, it seems part of us, maybe deep down, either do not want to handle the truth or cannot. T. Denise Anderson of Sojourners wrote about truth and racial history with ready inspiration from Juneteenth. She wrote, the Juneteenth holiday confronts us with our nation's shameful past and its lingering legacy. The confrontation is hardly welcome, however. History texts are rewritten to show the sought to soften the image of America's peculiar institution, while books that appropriately sensitize us to the realities of racialized terror are banned. Even slower than the actualization of emancipation, she said, is our willingness to reckon with the truth. Reckoning with the awful truth of slavery and its legacy winding its way through America ever since can cause white folks to react with avoidance of or anger or equivocation when the subject of reparations is brought up. Someone may have a hard time even being willing to engage in conversation over such proposals, but is part of that trouble having conversations coming from wrestling with the painful, whitewashed, many-layered historic truth which for so long whites have taken the privilege to ignore. It can easily become a denial of certain truths rather than receive the horrible truths and flow from that receiving into a discussion of constructive amends. A discussion made much more sensible on Juneteenth, when truth is before all of us again. For some, those truths elicit reactions. For some, those truths elicit reactions whose foundations include fear of the truth and avenues for justice. Fear of the avenues for justice. Again, as Denise Anderson wrote in Sojourners, I reread this, I'm re-quoting it, even slower than the actualization of emancipation, she said, is our willingness to reckon with the truth. Our willingness can be slow to get, to get there. 
Elijah, let's go back to the scriptures. You may have wondered, why isn't, where's the scriptures? Elijah confronted his fear of the queen and faced God. After this amazing encounter, he was enabled to return to his calling, fulfill a final couple of commands from God, and depart and let Elisha take his mantle. It was a healthy thing for Elijah to confront his fear with the help of God. So it can happen when we face America's racial history with both eyes open and have that willingness to reckon with truth. Good things, healthy things, can and must evolve. And when these, when these the willingness and the, the conversation may begin, what happened? Freedom started to show up. Freedom from fear of the truth. Elijah was freed to stop running. He was afraid of being killed. Don't blame him. I've run away from authorities for a lot less than that. Elijah was freed to stop running and do as Yahweh entered, as Yahweh ordered. Freedom for him and now us, then, for, not just freedom from, but freedom for loving service, for trying to learn more and to help right wrongs as an ally. Freedom for a shot at genuine community. Freedom from implicit biases, once recognized and claimed without innocence, can be worked out. Facing a truth we can be afraid of can lead us to be free of that fear and free of other things related to it. In Pride Month, it makes sense to also point out fears that keep non-binary and non-hetero persons in closets. And those who are straight, perhaps, from getting too close to persons they know who are LGBTQ+. Now, homophobia is an often misused term, I think, but for some there is still a real fear to the point of dehumanizing the historically persecuted or marginalized in those communities. The truth of the existence of trans and other non-traditional gender orientations can strike some with enough fear to keep their literature out of libraries, their school bathrooms and athletic participation in limbo, intimidate them with threats of firings if they teach or preach, and then when we have Trans Remembrance Day, there are all these people who have been killed because of how they identify. There's fear of... But when such fear often allegedly sanctified in the clobber passages of Scripture, when such fear is willing to read alternative interpretations of those passages, see them in historical and cultural context, and actually, if they don't already, get to know some gay, bi, lesbian, trans, or QIA persons, that fear can turn into freedom. God helps with that. How many straight Jewish, Christian, and Muslim persons got over their, their prejudices or scriptural fears of LGBTQ plus persons by actually meeting and getting to know them, 
See them as people, not as them. People made in the image of God. For Genesis has no except them in the story of creating humankind. Willingness to confront fears, to see truth, leads to freedom in a lot of healing ways. There are fears in the gospel story. First, of course, the demons were afraid of Jesus. They acknowledged their fear, and they acknowledged his power, which is why they were afraid. However, who wasn't afraid? Jesus. Not afraid. Why? Perfect love casts out fear, 1 John says. Love casts out fear. He wanted to cast out what so greatly hurt this man and kept him from community. You heard Olivia read the dialogue between the demons and Jesus and what happened. Luke records, when the swineherd saw what had happened, they ran off and told it in the city and in the country. Then people came out to see what had happened. And when they came to Jesus, they found the man from whom the demons had gone sitting at the feet of Jesus, clothed and in his right mind. And they were afraid. Those who had seen it told them how the one who had been possessed by demons had been healed. And then all the people asked Jesus to leave them, for they were seized with great fear. So he got into the boat and returned, meaning returned across the lake. They were afraid. They were seized with great fear. Why? Because of the headlong death of the swine? Its economic implications? Denise Anderson wrote, the Gerasenes saw their neighbor liberated from tormenting demons and responded by inviting Jesus to leave. Had they forgotten the demoniac's torment? One wonders if the good folks in the Gerasene region were worried about what else was prime for upheaval once the most oppressed among them finally got free. Or, as one Robert Brawley opined, this text reminds us that not everyone rejoices when somebody finally becomes free. In fact, many become threatened by it. There was a new normal in town. Uh Uh-oh. Yes, the people who lost a significant future profit from all the drowning of all those swine, they account for some of the unwelcome Jesus has shown. Get out of here. We're afraid of you. But I think what Brawley explains is said is true. Not everyone rejoices when someone finally becomes free. It explains a good part of the post-Civil War history in America. It also explains the murder of Matthew Shepard and the gay bashing that has gone on in history. The antipathy towards persons with AIDS during that epidemic. When I was at St. Nikolai, I didn't want people to know that my brother died from AIDS because I didn't want to deal with what crud might be tossed my way in the way of my family. When I came to St. Peter's, as you know, I said, I'm not going to pretend that's not the case. I'm going to tell the truth if it's asked and if it comes up. The holding down also of, of women and people of color in many cultures, places, and in churches explains when someone becomes free. Oh, can't have that. 
John T. Carroll put Brawley's observation in a more Christ-centered way, and I am moving towards a conclusion. He wrote, the community, he's talking about the Gerasenes, the community that had ostracized the man in his affliction then turned to ostracize the one who delivered him from it. Thank God Jesus didn't have to uh, convince a committee before he could heal the sick or cast out demons. Jesus was not constrained by a board that had to approve his liberating acts. But the people were afraid when they recognized, the people were afraid when they recognized that Jesus had the ability to change circumstances, even exponentially for the better. They could not handle the reality that things can be different. Fear of the truth. Facing the truth when it convicts us can deliver us to freedom. Freedom from fearing the truth. Freedom for showing love and justice and service and grace. Freedom for a chance at healthy, real community. But some will fear the freedoms we have in and from Christ. Like the Gerasenes seemed to fear the freedom given the former cemetery dweller's strong man and the freedom of new circumstances Jesus could and did deliver. Those new circumstances often represent values of God's realm, which, as we know, lots of religious leaders in Jesus' day were dead set against. Here's one of those values from Paul, and with this I will close. In Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. As many of you as were baptized into Christ Jesus have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is no longer Jew or Greek. There is no longer slave or free. There is no longer male and female, for all of you are one in Christ Jesus. That's a truth. Fear of it has distorted many expressions of the good news. Unity is a God value. It's a principle behind ordaining women and LGBTQ persons as well as straight men. It's not uniformity, but unity can be expressed in a lot of ways. Unity in Christ. And some people are afraid of that. Denise Anderson quoted Paul, you know, no longer Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, and she finished, nor any there is no longer slave or free, nor any contrived hierarchy that deprioritizes the cries of the afflicted. So let us be free enough to claim such oneness in Christ so that we too will not deprioritize the cries of the afflicted, but rather hasten to minister with and unto the least of these, where Jesus himself said he is to be found. And where he is to be found, truth is where he is. So let us not be afraid of this truth, of the freedom and unity in Christ. It turns out that it's good news. Amen. Thanks for tuning in to this week's edition of the Redheaded Preacher podcast. It was a longer than usual sermon, wasn't it? Um, but I hope you got something out of it, as I did in preparing it. Next week will be Pride Weekend, 
And though I do not know what scriptures I'll be preaching out of, I always check the lectionary first if I'm not preparing my own lectionary. Um, I can't give you any heads up. So you'll have to tune in to find out what happens uh, for the scriptures and the, uh, the message for Sunday, June 26th. But until then, thanks again for listening, and may God bless your week. Like what you've heard? Hit subscribe to follow and get updates on our newest additions to the Red-Headed Preacher. We'd love it if you'd give us a five-star rating and review wherever you listen to podcasts. You can find us online under most social media platforms by typing St. Peter UCC Skokie in your browser. Donations are much needed and very welcomed. You can donate to us by going to paypal.me backslash St. Peter UCC Skokie. This information and more can also be found in the show notes wherever you listen to our podcast. Thank you so much 